You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. Hi, listeners. It's been almost a year since I lost my brother a few days after Thanksgiving. He sat at the Thanksgiving table, grateful for turkey and pumpkin pie, and a few days later, he was gone, just like that. My first instinct was to flee the scene since I knew I was going to be alone. So I ran to Mexico and then France to serve as a Band-Aid for the deep wound that existed. Who was I, if not a caregiver, sister, and best friend? I'd already learned to live without the role of a daughter, but now the holidays are approaching and the dark cloud is hovering. The holidays are a tender spot for me since my birthday is the day after Christmas and Tomas is the 28th. It was all about family. So I thought for your sake and mine that we chat with Janine Fabule, the bereavement coordinator at Calabria Care. Welcome Janine. Thank you. Yeah, so I really wanted to talk to you because I have a feeling I'm not the only one that dreads the holidays. And I really thought that'd be a good idea to chat with you today because I don't think I'm the only one that dreads the holidays. I have a feeling many people who've lost loved ones think of the holidays and the great times they've had with family and they're just not quite sure how to deal with those feelings, you know? So I thought it'd be a great idea for us to chat. Um, And let's start by describing your role at Calabria Care and, um, you know, how it is that you got into this counseling role. Okay. Um, So I'm the bereavement coordinator at Calabria Care, and um, I've been there about six years, and previous to that was working at another hospice, um, doing social work more um, face-to-face with the patients that were terminally ill. Mm -hmm. So it felt to me like... um, after about 13 years of doing that, that being able to do counseling with the families after the person had passed away would kind of give me a perspective, you know, from a different lens, really. Mm -hmm. And that it would bring me kind of circle as well, you know, as far as understanding and hoping to see these families um, move forward at a time, um, oftentimes when they feel like, you know, they don't either know how they're going to move forward or that they can't move forward when a loved one passes away. Right. That, yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and the holidays are approaching and, you know, my, like I said in my introduction that my first personal instinct was to flee the scene. Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of wondering if you have strategies that you believe help during the holidays, like, you know, just, just what are some, some suggestions you might have about how mm-hmm. to deal with that? You know, what I tell people is to really um, give themselves permission to grieve. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is sometimes doing something completely different, um, just in the way of being able to say no. So when somebody, you know, a family gathering is going to happen and it's something that you feel like I can't attend, I just don't feel you know, like being there, or I don't feel in the mood to be socializing, which is often the case, Mm -hmm. then I tell people to let the family members or friends 
<clears throat> no, that this year, you know, um, is different for them. So a lot of times what I'll suggest to people are a couple of things. One is <clears throat> I'll suggest that maybe um, they drive two cars if they're going with somebody so that they can leave when they want to leave. Mm -hmm. So that means that they may go and stay 20 minutes or they may stay an hour, but that they have the ability to leave when they're ready to leave. Um, another suggestion is to bring something to the gathering. It might be, a, you know, some type of a dish of some sort and to say, I'm not going to be here, but I wanted to bring this just to leave this. And um, I think people then feel like at least they've done something. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've suggested that um, a lot of times people will say, I really want to be at this gathering, but I want to somehow um, acknowledge my loved one. And so I've suggested bringing either a small memento of the loved ones and having it placed at the table or even just a candle, mm -hmm. special candle that's lit um, just in memory of that person. And it can be just something even for themselves mm -hmm. that they feel like, you know, I, I either I want the whole family to know this candle is being lit you know, um, in memory of this person, or I don't, I just am going to light it. And it's kind of my connection to that person. Right, right. So you think, so you think setting boundaries and really communicating are big keys to this? Huge keys. Yeah, I think, you know, being able to listen to yourself, and to some degree to know really, what you can do and can't do. And that's kind of hard to know, even in the beginning. I think it's, you know, you're kind of in a whirlwind of not really knowing what you can do and what you want to do and what you can't do. But I think a lot of people feel like that first holiday for them is really difficult. Um, and they don't feel um, the holiday spirit. Yeah. Um, they don't feel like socializing. And so being able to find a way where they can feel comfortable in saying that, mm -hmm. but also feel like they're able to honor their loved one. Yeah. And I know for me, it's, you know, I hate getting the look, you know, just like the look of pity uh -huh. that you get from everyone, everyone right after it's happened. And uh -huh. especially if you go to a celebration, it's just nonstop and it's brutal. So it's like, uh -huh. how can uh -huh. I avoid that at all costs? Um, uh -huh. But I, I found that, you know, for me personally, like this year, I was invited to the same Thanksgiving dinner that my brother and I have gone to for years and it's a lovely tradition with a fantastic um, family, but I realized I just don't know if I could do it because it was our thing. And so uh -huh. I kind of think that I, I'm, I'm ready to create some new traditions. Uh -huh. so, um, so I'm actually traveling and hanging out with some friends overseas. And um, cause I just, you know, I just think that recreating is going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. If that I makes agree. any sense, you know. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I think people do start new traditions or they do have a whole new place that they travel to. Mm -hmm. And I, I also found that um, kind of planning in advance helped mm -hmm. to just sort of ease any anxiety that I had. To, mm -hmm. to just sort of say, okay, I'm going here for Thanksgiving and because mm -hmm. everybody's going to ask. <laughs> so yep. just like making these decisions in advance, mm -hmm. being prepared for those questions. So I think that that can be extremely helpful. I see clients a lot of times um, their anxiety starts increasing really in like September. Mm -hmm. 
and when the time changes and it's dark out and it's kind of that's the time where all of a sudden it's fall right it's a season change mm-hmm. and so i think if you can try to plan something ahead of time where you don't feel kind of blindsided by the holidays right um that's a really good idea i mean, what what's your advice about uh, dealing with sort of pushy relatives who are just they're badgering you about mm-hmm. coming to the holiday celebration and mm-hmm. how do you deal with them without getting uh irate is that the right word to say or mm-hmm. you know I mean, do you have any suggestions on that because I think that's sort of you know I think people get pushy because they feel bad mm-hmm. um I think you know Again, setting boundaries with them, being really clear, Mm -hmm. but also really, I think, on some level, understanding of where they're coming from. And so when somebody is saying, oh, you have to come, we've done this and, you know, we, you you know, you've always been here. Um, I think it's really okay to say to them, you know what, I'm okay, because I think that's their main concern is, oh, my gosh, you can't be alone and you're not okay, and, you know, um, or we're not going to be okay without you here. We're going to worry about you. So I think if they know I'm okay, I just need to do Thanksgiving like this now. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate you wanting me there. And, um you know, I will be thinking about all of you, but this is what I need to do now. Right. And it's really staying with that all the way through the whole grieving process, really. And just letting people know I'm okay. You know, I'm just doing this differently right now. Right. And, and you know, it's it's up to them to accept it or not. But, right. you know, you can hold fast to your ownership of your space and your time and your grief, your grief timeline, really. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in dealing with hospice, you know, if you have a family member who is a patient in hospice or who's severely ill, you know, what's your thought about celebrating the holidays? Do you think it's empty? Do you avoid it because they're not feeling well? Do you actually celebrate it to mm-hmm. maybe create some levity in the situation? Uh, what what do you think about that? I think, you know, that's kind of on a case-by-case basis, you mm-hmm. know, as far as I think there are some um, patients who, you know, are extremely ill. And so having holidays um, around them is not really comfortable mm-hmm. just because of the illness. Mm-hmm. But I also think that patients can really be, dis- you know, talked with about this. Um, so if it's, uh, you know, mother, brother, grandparent, you know, asking them, you know, what do you think about us having this, you know, here and you being here and, you know, how would you like us to, you know, celebrate? Um, And again, if sometimes if it's, I think, enough in advance, Mm -hmm. um, there can be some discussion about that where they will say, you know, I would like to be a part of this or I would like you to go and I'm okay being here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, or I want you to stay with me and I don't feel like celebrating this year. Right. So, again, I think it's really talking to the patient Uh and really um, finding out how you feel and they feel and going from there. Uh Yeah, that that makes complete sense. And just just again, communication keeps coming up here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And understanding boundaries seems. And it's not something that, you know, it's interesting because in our society, communication hasn't been something that's been really promoted around death and dying. Yeah. 
And so it's usually for most people, it's very hard and it's very awkward and it brings up all kinds of different, you know, feelings and ways of trying to make things better. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes those ways I think are um, really helpful and sometimes they're really difficult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I guess you have to just gauge it, huh? And see. Yeah, you gauge it and it's, you know, it's kind of a a whole new way of communicating with people. Uh And also, I think for people who have had a loss, they can understand it to some degree. Right. Um, And for people who haven't maybe, or it's been quite a long time, or it's a different family dynamic, Uh it can really change the communication. Yeah. And Go ahead. Sorry. I found that... um... Yeah, for those who've lost somebody, they yeah, just like you said, they absolutely get it. But I find it, I find a lot more difficulty with those who haven't been through this kind of grief. Uh-huh. So, um, and I guess that's leading perfectly into my next question, and that, you know, loss is loss, whether it's uh-huh. a broken heart, depression, death, and with loss in general. Um, what do you recommend for the folks that are trying to help those who are grieving, especially during the holidays? You know, I think. People don't know what to do, and they're very uh-huh. scared to sort of approach the grieving person, and they just don't know how to deal with it. And I, th- I think uh-huh. oftentimes that means they might stay away, whether they intend to or not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what are recommendations for people who are trying to be of assistance to those who are grieving and, and you know, show the love, so to speak? Right. When I've asked um, clients, when I've said, what's been most helpful to you? Uh-huh. They've said when somebody either just says, I'm sorry, Uh or they're just there to listen, Uh they don't, they don't really, you know, they don't need the person who's experienced the loss to take care of them. Um, You know, so the person who is coming to them, you know, is able to just be able to listen Uh Um, or somebody who will drop something off instead of saying, you know, um, just let me know when you need something. Yeah. Let me know what I can do for you. Because the person who's grieving can't do that. They just don't have the energy. Right. And so I've had more people say, you know, when somebody just left something on my doorstep, it was so nice. Or when they saw me in the grocery store and they didn't avoid me, but they just said, I'm sorry right. about you boss um or somebody who just came and listened without any kind of you know um feeling of you know having to say something or having to keep the conversation going Mm -hmm. they could just be here and listen to me tell the story of my loss right so i think it's again it's listening i think um i think a little goes a long ways just saying sorry And sometimes, you know, just leaving something on a doorstep for someone, um, whether that's, you know, a basket of, you know, I don't know, you know, something small for them. Yeah. Uh, um, That's gone a long way for people. Yeah. I, I found that, you know, I had, I had a gamut of responses to my brother passing and I mean, really more towards because it was a long-term illness um, and he was in hospice for like eight months. So we, we, we saw the gamut of responses and I mean, really, and in, in, in my podcast, I think the most common thread that I found is that, you know, presence is the most, is the biggest gift, really, mm-hmm. you know, just being there for someone and you don't have to 
bring anything. You don't have to even say anything. Just show up at the door and give them a hug. <laughs> you know, like exactly. It's so basic, and everybody uh-huh. tries to overcomplicate it. Um, oh my god, I have to cook, or I have to bring all these things, and it's it's so simple actually, uh-huh. and it's uh-huh. just show up for the person exactly and be there for them, and, and that's really what matters. And the more that you show up, the more that they're willing to talk and uh-huh. rest their situation and their sorrow. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that's the key. Is like. You know, don't let, you know, pretense or pressure hold you back from um, showing support. Exactly. Or just your own discomfort with the simplicity of it. Right. You know, it's uncomfortable for us to just sit and be with someone, right? Mm -hmm. Without thinking, how do I fix it? How do I make it better? How do I make them happy? You know, and it's not something you can fix and it's not something that you can make somebody happy in the moment. You know, you can make them, I think, not make them, but you can, I think, um, bring a level of comfort by just being present to them being wherever they are right. in their grieving process. And it's just, and it's even just distraction. <laughs> it's like, let's distract for five minutes from the deep sorrow and, you know, major gravity of the situation by just saying hi, you know, right. And telling them about your life and what's going on and, and just, you know, having a bit of a normal life for a second. It does. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people say that where they'll say, you know, I just want some normalcy. I want to be treated normally. I want to have a normal conversation, mm-hmm. you know, because they've been immersed in, you know, their grieving, but also um, a lot of times, like you just said, they've gone through a long-term illness with the person. Yeah. And so life hasn't been normal for them. And so just being able to sit and have, you know, somebody tell you how their life is going can feel really good just to have a little bit of a break. And I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends were kind of like, Oh, I don't want to tell you my problems. You have so many. And <laughs> it's just kind mm-hmm. of, you know, I totally accept your problems. And just because mine are a bit more serious, doesn't diminish the fact that you have issues going on. So please talk about them. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. I totally mm-hmm. acknowledge that other people have things going on. And, you know, I, I too, at some point we'll get back to that kind of, um, you know, degree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I just, I guess the big thing is just, you know, just be there, just support and show up, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, um, so I actually have a couple of questions that mm-hmm. I ask every guest and one of them, I mean, especially with your line of work, dealing with hospice and mm-hmm. grief, uh, what is your vision of the afterlife? Um, my vision of the afterlife is probably more energy based. You know, I feel like, um, I definitely believe there's something, I don't think we're supposed to know what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> because I can't imagine what we would do as a society if we did know. <laughs> <laughs> a revolt. <laughs> so, I think there's definitely a reason that we don't know, but I think, um, just by what I've have seen personally with, um, patients that are close to passing and also just my own intuitive feeling about things is that I feel like there's definitely an energy that leaves the body when the person dies. That's really evident usually right away. 
And I believe that energy goes on. I'm not sure where it goes or how it, you know, um, manifests into anything else, but I believe that it's around us. I believe that they're around us. Um, And that's, that's kind of how I see things. I think that's a nice thought. I, I, I actually did take comfort in the fact that, you know, my brother was being transformed from his, worn out beaten up body into right. energy and it was like just a lovely thought mm-hmm. he was almost starting fresh in many ways yep you know i just think that we're kind of i always see us you know our bodies as a vehicle or a vessel mm-hmm. you know and that that energy that you know so many times we see these people struggling and so they don't have to struggle in that vehicle anymore right. you know not working for them and that energy, I really believe, gets to be released and to something, I think, that's definitely freer mm-hmm. <laughs> and definitely healthier. And I'm not sure where or what exactly, but I know that I've seen so many, so many patients close to end of life talking and seeing people and, you know, it's amazing. So I don't know what that's all about or um, where all of that is, but it happens frequently. So it's kind of helped me to believe personally that there's something more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I mentioned that in at least one of the other podcasts that um, I noticed my brother was talking to my, my deceased parents mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. it kept me wondering, Hey, I was jealous because I'm like, I want to talk to them too. This uh-huh. kind of isn't fair, but then um, I just kept wondering, like, what is this all about? You know, right? what is he seeing and how is he seeing it? And, you know, is it his energy because his physical energy was declining? Maybe his spiritual energy was increasing and allowed him to see other things. Like I kept, I was so curious about all of that. You know? uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but, you know, who knows? We won't know until it happens, right? So. Right. I always feel like when that happened, it was kind of a gift to whoever was present to the dying process, you know, in whatever way they wanted to take that as a gift. Yeah. No, I, I actually felt so much better kind of knowing that they were there ushering Mm -hmm. him to the next world or, you know, whatever that is over there. But Mm -hmm. it's nice to know that he was among people who, who he knew and who Mm -hmm. cared. So that was that was a lovely thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then one other question that I always ask my guests is, again, considering the work that you're doing, um, this very serious end of life counseling and, you know, helping people grieve, um, what is the most important piece of advice and wisdom that you've learned to share with others? Um, I would say it's probably the resiliency of the human spirit, you know, um, at both ends. I think that I've seen an incredible resiliency in people that are dying um, in whatever way that comes across. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes that resiliency is just in renewing certain relationships, you know, that, or certain conversations that needed to be had, or, you know, uh, somebody has told them that, you know, they're going to live three more months and they live 12 more months. Right. 
you know, or um, there's just so much resiliency in the human spirit. And then again, at the other end of it, when somebody has died and a family um, comes to me, um, family members or a family member and feels like, you know, I don't know how to go on and I've lost my purpose and I don't feel like I have a lot of hope and they're lost. Right. And, and so to see them come through that loss again and to kind of have a new bloom come about is the way I always see it. I see it like a branch with a new bloom, mm. you know, that again, there's this incredible resiliency in our human spirit to um, grow and continue through loss mm-hmm. um, in whichever way that may be kind of a, a new life, um, lots of, you know, new purpose. And so that's, that would be what I would hope that people could understand and see. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm living proof of that right there. Because, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, um, you know, again, my, I think in another podcast, I mentioned that with that sort of very deep, deep loss and grieving comes of clarity and uh-huh. purpose of, of heart and just sort of this, you know, opening of the heart maybe is a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of a sudden I found all of this creative energy that I knew was there, but it, it hadn't been inspired or ignited yet. Right. You know, so all of a sudden here are these podcasts and I'm doing <laughs> a lot of writing and um, yeah. And that wasn't there before. <laughs> it's like, so it's wonderful. The opportunity, you know, yeah. that, I mean, I, often think, you know, that death is an opportunity, um, in the strangest way, you know, not one we would ever expect or want, Mm -hmm. but it's amazing the doors that open from the experience. Right. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think, you know, that's, that's what I'm hoping that people see that, that this whole process is not something to be totally scared of. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of enlightenment at the end of that Mm -hmm. tunnel, if one's willing to be open to it. That's the, that's the key right there. If one is willing to be open to it and it's, it takes, um, you know, quite a bit of acceptance to be open to it. And I think everybody arrives at that place at a different time. Yeah. I think that eventually I think, you know, for the most part, I mean, there are people where it's more complicated or it's conflicted. And so the acceptance isn't as easy. Mm -hmm. But I think when um, it does start to become more apparent that, okay, it's becoming more integrated into my life, this loss is becoming more integrated. Um, not that there's closure, but that it's more integrated, then I think what starts to happen is that purpose starts to kind of come about again, mm-hmm. like you're talking about and doing the podcasts and doing the writing and where it's bringing you. And I'm so glad that you're doing this and that you're talking about that because that is in my um, experience, what happens with people oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And I found that my, I guess my turning point that I could almost pinpoint is, you know, I used to see pictures of my brother and my parents and I it would I just lose it. You know, I just start crying and just get really yeah. emotional. And then you all of a sudden reach this point where you look at their pictures and you start smiling. Mm-hmm. And you remember mm-hmm. things and you start mm-hmm. giggling at them instead of mm-hmm. just being full of sorrow. And I think that's that crux point that will happen. 
yes with patience and mm-hmm. and then you can sort of then you can sort of open yourself up to those opportunities of, exactly. of learning and energy and transformation for yourself you know mm-hmm. yeah. exactly yeah so no well I really appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some insight into how to deal with the holidays because they really are difficult for so many people I know, I know. It's a, um, it is a really difficult time. And, you know, most people kind of feel like they want to pull the covers over their head and wake up and have it be, you know, January 16th, (laughs) you know, just get through, just get through them. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, hopefully we can keep educating and, you know, bringing up ideas and ways that people can, you know, be able to feel um, like the holidays can come and they can do them differently. Mm-hmm. Or they can say no, not this year, or they can go to a different location, mm-hmm. you know, and as time goes on, hopefully, like you said, they'll be able to look at those pictures of previous holidays and be able to smile and laugh, mm-hmm. but it takes time. Yeah. It takes time. And the key yeah. is to not push yourself too hard to get there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that everybody needs time and space to get get their arms around what this all means and exactly. So, right. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate. Oh, thank you. Thank. You've been listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon.